Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show, and I have a great friend and a phenomenal guest uh, on the show today. His name is Mark Anthony. No, not the singer, uh, but uh, he's much better than the singer and probably better, better looking. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but uh, he is uh, Mark Anthony, and he is the author of Never Letting Go, uh, and he is known as the psychic attorney. Uh, he's known worldwide. He's been on many, many of the uh, major television shows, and he really is helping people uh, save their lives uh, from grief of loved ones passed on. Uh, how are you doing, my, my, my good friend? I'm doing great, Philippe. It's really good to be here, and uh, it was fun before the show. We were having so many laughs. It's like um, it, it's great to well, welcome you know, the you listeners. <laughs> well, you called in, and, and the first uh, the 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 uh, uh, area code was three two one, and I'm like, wait a minute, three two one. That sounds like either like a sound check, or we're getting ready to take off in a rocket. What the hell is that about? You know. <laughs> well, you know what what's funny is uh, I live in East Coast Central Florida, right near Kennedy Space Center, okay. and. And, and that's why the, the county lobbied for that, that area code, 321 Blastoff. Oh, okay. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is growing up here, uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting a number of our astronauts. I remember wow. I, was working, yeah, I was working when I was about 17 years old. I was working at this resort, and... I used to be the bellhop, and I would carry people's luggage. And all of a sudden, this uh, this really nice car pulls up, and these gentlemen, real clean-cut looking, get out with their wives. And all of a sudden, I realize one of them's Neil Armstrong. And I'm standing there staring at him like about about you know. And I've met a lot of a lot of famous people in my life. You know, I've met a number of presidents and politicians and movie stars and actors as, as my life. But I was only 17 at the time, and I remember wow. carrying Neil Armstrong's luggage, and I was shaking because. I mean, this was Neil Armstrong, the first guy sure, to have a foot on sure. the moon. And then uh, a couple years after that, I got to meet John Glenn when I was in law school. And oh. I remember, yeah, he was he was running for president uh, uh, at at one time. I remember came, that. Yeah, and he, he was speaking at our law school, and it was funny because the day before, Jimmy Carter was at the law school, and then the day after, John Glenn, so it was sort of like the political celebrity double shot, and so I'm talking to John Glenn, and I said, you know, I've, I've watched all of your launches, and I'm a big fan, and, and he smiled, and he goes, ah, yeah, I know where you're from, and then about two, two three years ago, I was having breakfast at this little diner, and this guy is... is um, 
walks in with his what looks like to be his wife and his mother, and he had the best-looking NASA shirt I've ever seen. I mean, Philly, you know, because, you, know, you know, you walk around here, and, you know, it's like, you know, in Florida, you're wearing Disney, Universal, or NASA, you know, that's our, that's our thing, you know. And so I'm looking at his shirt, and he's looking at me, looking at him, and I go, that is the coolest NASA shirt I've ever seen. I said, you know, the shuttle landed yesterday. Did, did you see it? And he's looking at me, and he goes, well, I landed it. I go, what? He goes, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he, he goes, I'm Captain what? Mike Foreman. And I'm like, oh, oh. my God. <laughs> so so it's That's really kind of neat. It, yeah, it, it's a great, um, you know, to to have have these people um, that are so courageous to, to go up there and do these things. And, and I'm, you know, hoping that our country continues its commitment to exploration and technology. But uh, it's just been, it's been really cool growing up in an area where I've been surrounded by all of this. That is absolutely. What, uh, what an amazing story, and, and we'll, we'll use that as a segue into, into what you do in terms of being courageous. Uh, I think it's courageous uh, in the work that you do. Uh, first, I want to uh, ask, how did you make <coughs> the switch, or what, what happened to you where you had this aha moment and switched from being an attorney to someone that helps people heal uh, from uh, grief of lost loves. It, it's almost the other way around, Philippe, because people ask me, how did you go from being an attorney to a psychic medium? The fact of the matter is, I was born a psychic medium. I had to go to school to learn how to be a lawyer. Mm, wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. Well, uh, this ability runs in my family, and what I've found in my, my work with other psychics and mediums this tends to be a hereditary trait, not an unusual thing. There's a lot of things that are hereditary. And people say, well, I don't know if I believe that. I said, then why do you look like your parents? Why are some families' intelligence runs in it, other families' you know, physical ability, some people musical ability, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth? Sure. So, sure. so these are all types of, um, you know. And, so we would call this a prodigy, basically, of, of, of you know, your, your lineage and your heritage. Yes, and, and both my mother and my father have psychic and mediumistic abilities. My mother has, has since passed. Uh, so when and, you were growing up, how did you, how did you interface, how, you know, how, what was the interface like with your, with your mom and dad in, uh, in terms of that? Well, it was a lot like uh, The Sixth Sense meets Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, because I was this little kid that saw dead people, but it was cool because mom and dad did too, and they didn't treat me like it was weird, but they told me, uh-huh. don't discuss this outside of the house because people won't understand. Sure, sure. So when did you decide to... I mean, I'm sure there was an awkward moment at some point growing up where you, you know, uh, began to find out who you are and who you wanted to be in the world. I I think that could be said of of everybody. And the way I look at it, Philippe, life is a river, and we need to flow with it and not against it. Mm -hmm. And there was... There was a time in my life where I was kind of trying to suppress and negate the psychic ability because it makes you weird. I mean, it's hard sure. enough being a kid and being a teenager, but when you're one that, you know, is kind of spacey because, you know, I say weird things or I bring up things that, that startle people, um, 
But the fact of the matter is, I came to accept that this is a gift from God. And that's one of the reasons that I was drawn into law, as cliche as it says, because lawyers have a, a stereotype of being vampiric, predatorial, you know, really difficult, you know, monsters. But that's not really the case in, in, in all instances. Believe me, I've met plenty of, you know, sociopathic lawyers, that's for sure. But, <laughs> sure, yeah, right. but, but I'd say well, the vast majority. <laughs> yeah, but 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 a bu- really, but a bunch of them, a lot of us are. We like to help people, and that's one of the things that drew me into law. But it got to the point where I could no longer ignore my psychic abilities, which are you know communication with spirits and with the other side. So I embraced that, and then that let, led me onto a completely new path where my wow. my mission is to help people understand that life is everlasting, and that when someone we love dies. They don't cease to exist. They simply transfer energetically to a different realm, a different frequency, if you will. Sure, sure, got that. Now, this is fascinating because uh, when I assume that uh, during your journey and your past, a lot of people came up to you and started asking you questions. Well, you know that that have uh, you know their their uh, loved ones have passed on, and that's how the conversation started. And then you decided to turn this into an actual uh, career. Is that pretty accurate or, or, or what is it yeah. yes um, because it, it took up so much of my time yeah and it became it became the focus of my life and I would assume also not to interrupt you but I would assume sure. also that you were successful uh, at making contact uh, which is why I assume people you know would refer you and say well he really helped me you know when my dad passed or and he really you know helped me when my mom passed so I assume you had some level of confidence and legacy uh, as a result of, of, of wanting to turn it or having to turn it into a career. Uh, that that would be a nice way of putting it. I I um, have quite quite a following. My client base is worldwide. People contact me because I can do readings both on television, excuse me, on telephone and uh, by Skype as well as in person. Wow. And. and um, you know, both mom and dad were mediums, and so you know, maybe a recessive trait, but I got the double double shot. So I do seem to be uh, fairly proficient at spirit communication. And you know, the way I was raised is as a Catholic. I was actually, when I was a child, I was kind of being groomed towards the priesthood, which I was always drawn to the spiritual. But as I got older, I decided I didn't want to do that I, you know I'm still very much a man of faith I very much believe in God but I'm not so much on um, an organized religion although I would identify myself as Catholic mm-hmm. but but um, yeah, because it's too confining I don't, I don't like being told you can't do this you can't do that because sure. with me when it comes to God all things are possible and there is no limitation mm-hmm. there is no one book one book one philosophy one particular road God delights in a wondrous variety Philippe that's why sure. we're all different. If God wanted us all to be the same, he would have made us like fish. You know, you see a school of bluefish swimming together and a school of, you know, the tetras swimming together, but we're not. You know, there there is a multitude. I love that analogy. I love that. Yeah, yeah, we're a rainbow of people. I was talking to a friend of mine who's African-American, and she says, I was at a family reunion, and I was looking at everybody, and she said, when you see the rainbow of color flowing through them, she goes, we're, you know, even though we're a family, we're all so different, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it was just such a beautiful way that that she put that and so because we have 
uh, a consciousness and a self-awareness and a sentience and a capacity for love. That's part of our diversity, which makes us makes us such a um, an, an interesting species. Nelson Mandela, and and you know he just passed last week, and and I know that he's been in the news a lot. But sure. I read something that he said, and it really really hit home with me. He said that. No one is born hating someone because of the color of their skin or of their religion. People are taught to hate. And if they can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. Because love comes more naturally than does its opposite. I love that. That's fantastic. Absolutely. That is absolutely a truth. Well, you know, speaking of that, you have this great piece of work that you, you know, uh, now have codified into an actual book, Never Let It Go. Uh, why did you decide to write the book? How long did it take for you to do it? Uh, and, um, you know, why did you take so long? I mean, literally, well, it, this is something that really has been needed in the, in, in, the, in the world for some time. Never Letting Go, it, it wasn't, it, it was a process. What happened was when my mother died, I was so devastated. And people say, well, you're a medium. You should be able to, to get over uh, the death of a loved one. Mm. To, which, to which I replied, well, yeah, I'm a medium, but that doesn't mean I don't have a heart and feelings. And come on, right. it's mom, you know. And, and right. I was so devastated. And so I started going to a grief support group at this uh, Catholic church. And mm. it seemed that, that, that I was recovering pretty quickly. Now, the problem was, I didn't see it as a problem, but the, the facilitator of the group did. We're sitting in a circle, and people will be talking, and I'm seeing everybody's dead loved ones. And so I'd say to somebody, well, if your mother was here, maybe she would want you to know this. Oh, and if your son were here, perhaps he would want you. And people are looking at me like, well, yeah, that is what he would say. And the facilitator of the group, she's from Ireland, and she came up to me after one of the meetings. She goes, you know, Mark, I know what you're doing, and you can't be doing this. I said, what? Seeing spirits? She goes, we're in a Catholic church. I go, yeah, but isn't that kind of what we do? <laughs> I mean, you know, we've got angels and saints and yeah, all sorts yeah. of, you know, mother yeah, yeah, we got we got a whole cornucopia of you know metaphysical beings, and she goes, yeah, but we can't be doing that. So so I stopped going, and uh, about a month later, I'm at a grocery store, and I, I was in the the frozen food department. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. And this little tiny lady comes walking up to me. She must have been pushing ninety, sweetest little thing, and I recognized her from the grief support group. And she comes uh-huh. up, she she takes me by the hand. She goes, hi, Mark, and I go, hey, darling, how you doing? She goes. Would you come back to the grief support group? You made us feel better. Oh, I know. And it's like I almost wanted to cry. And all of a sudden, that's when it hit me. I said, you know, I've got to write a book that combines evidence, facts, and spirituality and is a guide on the journey through grief. And so that's why my book, Never Letting Go, the subtitle is Heal Grief with Help from the Other Side. Mm-hmm. Because, because, Philippe, my theory is that spirits are like uh, cosmic lifeguards, if you will. Mm-hmm. They feel our pain and they reach out to us from the other side. And I know a lot of religious people get all bent out of shape. You're doing the work of demons, this is negative. Mm-hmm. Excuse mm-hmm. me, but nothing is possible but for the grace of God. And we are all, or we all have the potential to be servants of God. So why, why would that mission stop for spirits? If you're sure. grieving so horribly because your child has died, 
how is it evil if you're able to connect with him or her, whether it's through a medium like me or whether you see a sign or actually see them appear to you mm-hmm. for a moment? And, and the thing is, the Bible's full of this. Our own culture is full of this. I, I, one of the presentations I give is about the Haunted White House, and, and the subtitle of that is called Rulers, Royals, Psychics, and Spirits. Mm. And I explain how at least one-third of the U.S. presidents have had psychic advisors, including including President Obama, and it doesn't end there. Uh, the British, uh, let me tell you, the British have been very involved with this. The KGB has had a psychic warfare division since the 1950s, as to the Chinese, the North Koreans, um, the United States, the British, the French. So, so this is this is something which is very real. But until recent times. It's been kind of kept under wraps, almost clandestine. So, so I'm coming out and saying, hey, God exists, heaven exists, our soul's an immortal living spirit, we can talk to those souls, and when it is our time to pass, we will see them in the light. Incredible. Absolutely amazing. Is this one of the reasons why you open the book with the prayer of St. Francis? Absolutely. In fact... Whenever I do a reading, and tonight I'm doing a um, gallery reading where um, several people come, I always start my sessions with the prayer of St. Francis. And the reason for that, Philippe, is you know I was groomed to be a Catholic priest. That was something I had very much considered uh, when, when I was um, a child and a teenager. And I look at my mediumship with the reverence that you approach a sacrament, Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. this this is communication with another dimension. I, I refer to it as interdimensional communication. This is what I'm writing about or have written about for my upcoming book, where I explain um, in detail using scientific theory and scientific fact how spirit communication is real. Mm-hmm. But this is not an accident that that these things happen. There's a physiological basis why people are able to perceive spirits. And if God didn't want us to be able to get a glimpse of heaven and the other side, or and or the other side, then why were we all wired with the physiological equipment to do so? Well, you're, what you're saying is absolutely uh, fascinating and factual. <clears throat> I remember having a conversation years ago with uh, Dr. Um, uh, Andrew Newberg, who wrote the book Why God Won't Go Away, who, you know, basically... Uh, as a neurobiologist, uh, discovered and realized that the brain is actually wired for transcendence. So why that is, uh, we don't know, but it's actually wired to to go into those realms. That's exactly what we are able to do, and that is a neurobiological fact of science. Yes, it is, and it centers on the pineal gland, which is a pea-sized gland in the middle of, um, if you take the middle of your forehead, go back, you know, about four inches, four or five inches or so. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, for people that do yoga, that's the third eye chakra, mm-hmm. um, and and it um, the, the chakras, the energy centers throughout our body correspond with the endocrine glands, and it's, it's funny how the Hindus and the Buddhists were able to, the, the Hindus were able to locate this thousands of years ago, and now, today, medical science is proving this. But the pineal gland, and I've done a lot of research, a lot of work on the pineal gland. The pineal gland has calcite and magnetite crystals in it, a recent British discovery, or recent meaning like within the past 20 years, but there's been more studies uh, recently. So basically, 
the pineal gland, electric, electricity flows through it. There's crystals in it. It regulates our brainwave frequency, how we perceive light, and it secretes hormones, uh, notably melatonin. So in our head, we have a antenna, a receiver, and a transmitter. So the theory behind spirit contact is that the pineal gland elevates brainwave frequency. Spirits can see that. They bring their frequency down. You get a frequency match. Let me ask you a question, Philippe. Have you ever had a dream, and in that dream, you had a discussion with a deceased loved one, and it seemed like a real conversation? Sure, absolutely. Well, then you've had a mediumistic experience because Mm -hmm. when we go in, see, right now, if you were to brain map us, we're in the beta state. When you go into sleep, you slip into alpha. And then right. when you go into deeper sleep, you go into theta. And on the alpha-theta border, brainwave psychic activity occurs, and that's where the surge in frequency, um, you know, the free, in frequency and amplitude occur so that spirits see that. They align their frequency with yours. And that's why dreams are one of the most prevalent means of spirit communication. The funny thing is, you know, in the Bible is full of um, God sending angels to talk to people in their dreams, and and people culturally don't seem to have a problem uh, accepting that. They'll say, well, you know, I had a dream of my, you know, my brother <laughs> came point. and talked to me in Very the dream. Sure. But, but when somebody like me goes out in public and says, well, I can do this in a conscious state, you're crazy, you're a charlatan, you're <laughs> yeah. Satan. And it's like, no, it's just that for whatever reason, certain people like myself are able to voluntarily go from beta to the alpha-theta state um, within a few seconds, whereas mm-hmm. normally this process takes a number of hours to get to that. And well, so, let's talk about that. Yeah. I like the let's talk about the logistics of it because this is fascinating to uh, those who have an open mind and uh, uh, might be looking and searching for that. You know, especially around the time of the holidays, it's very difficult for people who have yeah. lost loved ones. Uh, I just talked to a, a very good dear friend, and her mother just passed of eighty-five years, and and so you know, this is this is very uh, poignant. Uh, and palpable. Um, how long does you know, you know? We are used to um, our dreams and 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 discussing our dreams publicly with with you know friends and family. Uh, we're not used to, however, being able to have that same level of discussion, if you will. Um, you know, in in our awakening uh, hours. Uh, so I think that's where kind of the shock comes from. Do you? With this book and with this work that you, 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 you have been doing for so many years, are you able to teach others how to do this, or is it somewhat well, something where you have to be present in some uh, case in, or situation to, to uh, mediate the process? Well, in, in, in my book, Never Letting Go, there is a chapter, How to Reach Out to the Other Side, and it explains contact experiences. And I, and I want to, you brought up several good points in your question. I want to try to address, uh, address them. Is, you said that, well, a lot of people don't have this in a waking experience. Actually, they do. It's just that mm. we tend to discount the waking waking experiences, or rather the contact experiences when we're awake more than we do a dream state. And the example that I might might give is sometimes, let's say you're doing something, all of a sudden you smell, let's say, your, your mother's perfume. 
and your mother's passed on, and there is no source for it. Let's say all of a sudden you start smelling a, a bottle of, you know, a Chanel Number no. Five or whatever, whatever she mm-hmm. wore, mm-hmm. and and you're like, well, where did that come from? You start thinking about your mother. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if all of a sudden you're driving and you just feel compelled to turn on the radio and there's Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven and that makes you think your best friend from college who, who died in a car accident and you're like wow mm-hmm. why did that happen or you catch a glimpse of somebody uh, out of out of your peripheral vision you turn to look but you don't feel that they're there or you you are drawn to a situation um, that where you see something or reminds you of somebody my theory is that spirits are able to send like a frequency emission. And the way I like to describe it is it's like a three-dimensional spider web. Okay, let's take the spider out of it. All right. When a, when a, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't but, want but, to see a 3D spider. Yeah. Well, no, but, but think how a spider web works. If a fly hits it, it sends a vibration along there, and then sure. the spider is drawn to it. Okay, so basically think of, instead of a web, that these are energy links. And mm-hmm. for those of you out there who are parents, you may be at home or work or something. All of a sudden you go, oh, my God, something happened to my child, and something actually did. What, do you think that's a fluke? You are energetically connected to the people you love. We are all energetically connected, henceforth the three-dimensional spider web. Mm-hmm. So, when, so when people die and they, they revert into a pure energetic state, then it's easier for them to send these energetic emissions to us to you're thinking about someone that you really love a lot and also you turn on the radio and there's that song that makes you think of them. You're thinking about your mom, she's passed, also you start smelling her perfume. Because what they're doing is they are drawing your attention to that or they are sending an emission to you which is activating parts of your brain that make you think of them. Now, I have to interrupt in this because I have to ask this question um, because I'm sure my my listeners would say, Philippe, why didn't you ask this question? And that is some people, many people, have a love-hate relationship with their deceased. In other words, they're they're sad uh, that they're passed on, but in another sense, there's a level of relief that they've passed on because they were just very antagonistic uh, and not necessarily great in their lives. Um, How do you reconcile that? If you are trying to communicate with that person that when you were communicating with them in the physical realm, you really couldn't. Philippe, I, I'm so glad you asked that question. I'm glad you asked that question. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and as you know, I do talk about this uh, quite a bit in Never Letting Go. But you see, we tend to judge the infinite through a finite set of glasses. Mm-hmm. We are here in the material world in finite form for a specific reason or reasons, many of which are to have a finite existence, to experience physical sensations and emotions and pains and things that we can't in an in infinite state on the other side. So let's say, and, and I've had, had had this many times where I'm doing a reading for someone and let's say uh, and I'm just making an example I'm doing a reading for a woman and her father comes through and he molested her when she was a child mm-hmm. and she hates him and doesn't want to hear from him now he's not coming through to be hey I'm back to to antagonize you because when a person dies what dies with them is the human mind which contains the ego within the ego is fear anger all the negative emotions predatorial behaviors it is the consciousness which 
continues to exist in eternity. The consciousness is our spiritual component, and we're all cells in the body of God, so therefore it is a love-based function. However... All right, so what you're doing now, you're hitting on something exceptionally powerful, Mark, and that is this connection uh, with our loved ones, uh, especially the ones who have been antagonistic, those who have been very bad in the physical realm. Uh, This is a relationship of forgiveness on both sides. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why there's a chapter, or it's two chapters in Never Letting Go, um, forgiving those on the other side and receiving forgiveness from those on the other side. So let's say in 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 the um, example of uh, the the father who's molested the daughter, he's mm-hmm. coming in, and when he goes to the other side, his memories of what he did here go with him, and he does have to atone for that. And I don't fully, and I don't know if anyone can fully understand what is entailed with the atonement, but when they get an opportunity to reach out and to apologize and seek resolution. Now, I've had some people be very receptive to that communication, and others say, get him out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the funniest stories, and I'm, I'm jumping tracks here, unless there's nothing funny about child molestation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but one of the funniest stories in Never Letting Go, which is true, is I did a reading for this uh, woman, and her father came through, and a real military-looking man, and she said, well, yeah, he was a general, and he's with this big German shepherd, and he's petting the German shepherd, and the dog's wagging his tail. And I described the dog that had a real black snout. She goes, really? She goes, that was my sister's dog. That dog hated him. My dad hated the dog. Dad had come home. The dog would growl at him. He said, get that damn dog out out of here and she said the two hated each other okay but any being capable of love is capable of spirit communication so what happened was the general spirit and the spirit of the german shepherd came through to say that on the other side they were no longer antagonistic towards each other and it's amazing the response i've got from so many people that say i'm so glad you wrote about that um and and uh, in my upcoming book i've gotten i've had so many readings where animals come through that i decided to write an entire chapter about it and, and mm-hmm. some of the stories mm-hmm. are very funny and some are very touching but you know in in um you brought up an interesting point earlier that here during the holidays is a very painful time for so many people this could be the first. Uh, I wrote a blog on my website, which is also neverlettinggo.com, but I call it the firsts. The, the first year after a loved one dies, mm-hmm. you're going to get hit. I mean, it's bad enough, the fact that your loved one dies, but then there's days that are going to pop up that are associated with your loved one or right. with things like the first anniversary of the first birthday, the anniversary right. of the first death. Then you hit, you know, the holidays, Thanksgiving, um, you know, Veterans Day, Christmas, mm-hmm. New Year's, Kwanzaa. You hit all these things, and it just brings up all all these painful painful memories because these are the first. They're mm-hmm. always going to be painful, but I think the firsts are the worst. Well, you know, a lot of people turn to pets for comfort and solace, and, and which is a very good thing. But for a lot of people, the only loving relationship they have in their life is a pet. Mm-hmm. So even though Fluffy may not technically celebrate Christmas, Christmas without Fluffy can be extremely 
painful. No question. And, and so when, when people we know lose pets, we need to, you know, just don't blow it off, say, hey, it was just a cat. You know, maybe to that, that person, that cat was everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and certainly um, I'd like to say this to all the listeners. Uh, for those of you who've lost loved ones, you, you, you know how painful it is. But for many people out there who haven't had a significant loss, there may be people around you who have co-workers, friends, and be very mindful of that. Be careful about what you say. Don't go, oh, well, she lived a long time. Well, you can always have another baby. You're young. You'll meet somebody else. Don't Mm -hmm. say things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Hug them. Tell them they'll be in your thoughts and prayers and let them know. Say, look, if you need to talk, call me. I'm here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let them know that that their feelings matter and and validate their grief. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I, would you say that you know, listening to you and 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 how eloquently you're explaining everything, um, would you agree <clears throat> that there is an insurmountable amount of people who are walking around right now? absolutely aching, miserable, uh, and transferring that misery to other people uh, and because they just don't know that this exists and that this is possible for them. And I would assume in some of your cases, in many of your cases, that the connection, the healing, the forgiveness, the beginning of that is instantaneous. I'm sure with some it might be a process. But would you agree that there's just so many people that need to know about this and at least give it a shot because it could just literally change the vibration of the planet? Oh, oh my gosh, Philippe, I, I, I could not have put it, put it any better. There, you know, if you beat a puppy enough, it's going to grow up to be a really mean dog. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they've sustained significant losses in their life. And they may not process it properly. They may not have had a support group like a family or a close-knit group of friends to help them get through it. And so they get bitter and angry and mean. And so when you come up against someone who's just bitter and nasty and cruel, you know, I don't think, I mean, with some exceptions, I don't think most people are born uh, vicious. It, it's like beating an animal. It takes something to get them to that point. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy for us to, to judge the weird lady that lives down the street that chain smokes and has 10 cats. Um, it's real easy to judge the elderly gentleman who's always grumpy and nasty and, and keeps to himself and, and yells at kids when they walk on his grass. It's real easy to judge the alcoholic or the drug addict or the sex addict and like, oh, that drunken, crack-addicted slut. There's a lot of people who, especially in their developmental stages, um, childhood, that grief is never resolved. And then that grief, you can't snort away grief. You can't smoke it away. You can't drink it away. You can't sex it away. You can't fight it away. Mm-hmm. So, And men are even worse because we're not supposed to you know, have emotions other than anger in public. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, so the grief does not get suppressed. It emerges in other ways as addictive behaviors, impulsive behaviors, um, aggression, predatorial behaviors. So the grief can lead a person to committing crimes. And by committing those crimes, they're inflicting grief upon 
upon other people. This is a terrible cycle that I've seen over and over, and it's real important. So, uh, Have you come back on the show and have a show just about that alone? I have a nonprofit that deals exactly with this issue, and that was uh, fascinating. I never looked at it from this perspective before. Oh, I, I would love to because that's that's one of my that's one of my points. That that's uh, you know one of my missions is to let people know because you know with children um, we don't know when, when when somebody dies. Where's daddy? Oh, he's in heaven. Where's heaven? Don't don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Younger younger mm-hmm. children, you can assume they don't know anything. Older children, you have to find out what they know. And then teenagers, teenagers are just difficult to deal with anyway. But then when you throw something like this in the mix, um, an important thing is get them talking. Find out what they do know, what mm-hmm. they don't know. Or what they're thinking, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, what they're thinking because sometimes that grief leads to the crime of suicide, which inflicts grief upon other people as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. and and it's very very important uh, to to uh, get help and counseling. Um, you know, I, I deal with a lot of men. Being a male medium, guys feel a little bit more comfortable coming to me and opening up and crying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I get a lot of military guys that they won't cry in front of a woman, but mm-hmm. for some reason, mm-hmm. it kind of you know, it's the male thing. We'll all get together, hoorah, you know. Um, and they're like, well, I, I try not to think about it since my wife died. Mm-hmm. Well, why not? Well, I just put it out of my mind. Do you really? I've noticed you've just had six beers. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you know and and it's, you know you got to be careful with some people because they don't want to express their emotions. But everybody, sure, they're very needs... defensive. They're very defensive. Oh, I had this one guy. Um, he he um, he was a special forces guy, and he got arrested for DUI, and he you know took like four cops to get him down. This guy had he, he's one of these guys who's got like four softballs for biceps, you know what I mean? He's just like this <laughs> giant guy. I mean, you know, he was like you know Captain America or something, and you know he'd walk in the office, all the women were like ah, you know, I was like my, my second Captain America is here, you know. Well, um, you know, and I'm talking to him, and 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 and, and, and he says, well, I said, well, what medications are you on? He was on three painkillers. Uh, two mood stabilizers, two sleeping pills, and something else. I go, my God. I go, how many doctors do you have? He goes, I have five different doctors. I go, do you have one doctor in charge of everything? He goes, no. Well, see, he's a good soldier. Doctor told him, take it. And um, so I called it. I said, well, what about talk therapy? He goes, they assigned me to a female. I will not speak to a female. So I'm like, okay. So I called the VA, and I said, look, this is what he's on. And they're like, oh, dear God. Really? Wow. So, all right, one, now they put him on one painkiller, one, one mood stabilizer, one sleeping pill. And I said, you've got to get him into talk therapy with a male. They go, well, that's rather sexist. I go, this guy's Delta Force, okay? Right, right. All right, look, I'm all about equality and men and women and all this. However, yeah, this yeah. guy is not going to open up to a woman about why he's losing his mind because he's seen so many of his friends get blown apart in battle. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he's not—he he will not cry in front of a woman. Anyway, long story short, they got him into therapy with a male therapist, and I saw him one other time after the case was over, and he thanked me. He was doing much better. He said, "This is not easy." He goes, "The hardest thing I have is facing." my seven-year-old son and I said why he goes because I don't want him thinking I'm weak 
And I said, you're mm. not weak, you know? So, so women are really good about processing their emotions. I mean, you know, a girl breaks a fingernail in high school. It's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And they all like, support <laughs> each other. You know? Yeah, you know, you, know, you, you and I, you know, we get hit by a car and we're afraid it's to like, cry because people right, think we're, Right, it's like, you know, no, I'm all right. I just have to yeah. adjust my leg a little bit and put it up, yeah. you know, put some ice on it. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it shows how men really, really need to um, have attention paid to them with their emotions. And now let's take this into being a child, whether it's a, a boy or a girl, it's even compounded because, you know, Philippe, as, as adults, we have life experience, we have some, you know, we have maturity and we have a skill set, an emotional skill set. Children don't have that. And mm-hmm. to break the, break the grief crime grief cycle, we've got to make sure that when a child is exposed to and, and, and is, is uh, suffering from the loss of a loved one, mm-hmm. that they receive the proper support and attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm going to table that one because I'm, I'm definitely, I'm just going to have you back so when we hang up, we'll reschedule and have you back for, for that part. But you brought something up in the previous uh, story uh, with, with the guy who was Delta Force, and that is uh, veterans and military, our, our, our beloved military people who um, suffer tremendously from post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and we, we, our conversation has been primarily about our close loved ones. It hasn't been necessarily about um, the brothers and sisters from another mother, you know, from our, the relationships that we have built over time, uh, and especially in terms of military. When you go into military and you go into battle with uh, uh, your, your brothers and sisters, they become family. And uh, it can, I can only imagine that it is insurmountable when it's, you know, half a platoon of, you know, of all of your friends uh, and, uh, that you now call family have passed on. How, how do you or can you deal with that uh, just for veterans? Well, let me tell you, veterans... Um Quite frankly, I've, I've been very disappointed in the Veterans Administration and in the past um, past couple uh, presidential administrations, both the Democrats and the Republicans, because not enough attention is being given to our veterans. And right now, see, we live in a society where everybody thinks, oh, we'll just give somebody a pill. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like like the, the gentleman I was describing, you know, let's give him mood stabilizers, give him some painkillers, give him some sleeping pills, he'll be fine. No, those things are Band-Aids. They don't cure the underlying problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that talk therapy is very important. I was talking to a Marine recently, and um, he he's definitely suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, because I was talking to him, and it was interesting because it was at a, a business that I was at, and it wasn't even in my capacity. And he said, oh, I heard about you. You're, you're that, that psychic lawyer. And I said, yeah, and I'm Mark Anthony, very nice guy. And he started talking, and I could just see the pain in his eyes. And I said, are you going to talk therapy? He said, I really need to do it because I I worry sometimes about losing control. He says, I'm not going to flip out and kill my family or anything like that. He says, but I really need somebody who understands. So with our, our military, you know, we are sending these men and women out into 
the, these these hostile environments and these these bizarre countries where you know they look at America as an evil thing and all that, and mm-hmm. we're asking these people to put their lives on the line and to give the ultimate sacrifice. You know, and it's bad enough when somebody gets killed in combat, but what if they're just physically or mentally wounded? It you know what what has happened to them is going to last for the rest of their lives. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I read a really interesting article um, probably about a year ago. There were some writings about medieval knights who had returned from the Crusades, and based on what was written, it appears that they were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And I never thought about that. You know, you think about knights mm-hmm. trotting off to the Middle East to kill people sure. in the name of God and all that, and and uh, but you don't think about they were people, they were human beings, and even though right. society may have been more brutal, at least by our standards, um, they're still human beings, and that affected them. So this problem is nothing new. They used to call it uh, battle fatigue. Then they called it being shell-shocked. Uh, yeah. But yeah. now we realize this is a real psychological disorder, and it is one which is treatable, and in many instances it may even be curable. Well, now you're bringing up a really good point. So, you know, let's kind of bring back in the the uh, uh, loved one piece, and that is, uh, you know, clinically they have said that, you know, what what um, qualifies post-traumatic stress disorder? Well, the loss of a loved one um, qualifies uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder, depending upon the the individual. So we're talking about something that really uh, is almost necessary and mandatory uh, in terms of healing that grief and making a connection of forgiveness on both sides. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, I, um, 100%. Because the death of a loved one can, I know we got on a bit of a tangent, but we did, but we didn't. Because post-traumatic stress disorder is a very real very real um, um, disorder, and I don't like calling it a disorder, let's call it a condition. Yes. And when you lose a loved one, that can trigger post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, let's say you're a parent and you see your child run over by a car. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're going to tell me that's not that image is going to haunt you? Or you come home and you see your loved one laying there on the floor because he or she had a heart attack and nobody was around and you don't know how long uh, that, that, that loved one was lying there. Um, and then just the fact that a, a loved one has died depending on the person, can be so overwhelming mm-hmm. that it does. Mm-hmm. It causes a traumatic, post-traumatic stress disorder. And PTSD can, can and will destroy your enjoyment of life. One of the things that I talk about never letting go is that grief has to be treated. And, and I don't mean by popping pills. I mean, you know, let's face it. As human beings, we're going to lose loved ones. That mm-hmm. is part of the human condition, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. So mm-hmm. in, in one sense, we are wired for this. That's why we go through the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. The, there's the initial shock where, like, the first two or three weeks, you can't even focus, and all you can say is, I can't believe this happened, I can't believe this happened. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the shock will dissipate, but it is then the trauma that we live with for the rest of our life, and that's what we have to, to learn to cope with. So in Never Letting Go, I talk about how you've got to be careful about grief because grief can take on a life of its own and it can become your life. And I have seen this time and time again. You bring up a good point here. Let go. 
you're bringing up another good point that, that triggered a question in me, and I think about now, again, we're talking about pretty much, you know, what I call one-offs, you know, one-to-one relationship, you know, a close relationship, parent, you know, loved one, someone in our family. We talk about military in terms of our extended family uh, or the family that we, we create. Uh, another question that comes up is global grief um, from events like 9-11. Um, there have, you know, there have been uh, uh, case studies and numerous reports of people who, after that event, um, creates, you know, uh, had post-traumatic stress disorder. How does your, or if it does, I'm not sure, work uh, 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 slips into that, that realm? Because it's kind of vague, because, you, you know, here are people who have passed on uh, in, a multi, you know, in, in a huge explosion in a one-time event, but the people who are left behind, even those people who are not, you know, uh, uh, connected to them as a as a mother, father, daughter, niece, you know, nephew, but feel that level of of grief. How do you uh, uh, handle that? How do you deal with that, or do you? That's an interesting. All right, so let me let me make sure I, I'm being a lawyer again. Let me make sure I understand the question. So let, <laughs> let let's say you're a witness to either like you're there or maybe you know on TV or something, you see something like 9-11 and you're aware that thousands of people have died, but you're not directly connected to any one of them. Is that what That's you're saying? Correct. That's okay. correct. I don't know if spirit communication through a medium would be the appropriate um, um, ther- therapy for that. Mediumship, where and that's where I facilitate communication between uh, someone here in our world, in the material world, and a loved one on the other side, is an important therapeutic step in the journey through grief. What you're describing is what I call mourning sickness, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Mm-hmm, sickness. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like, think when, think when Whitney Houston died, mm-hmm, when, mm-hmm. when Michael Jackson, when Elvis, when Princess Diana, when John Lennon, when George Harrison died. People of the world over, 9-11, were like, oh my God, they were just consumed with the grief. Now, let, let, let's take with 9-11. It's a horrific and terrifying thing, and it frightens people. So that is the type of grief that is best addressed through therapy, probably like a group therapy. A lot of uh, churches and, and even secular organizations may have open and frank discussions. Clamming up and suppressing your feelings is usually not a good idea. So I think that more conventional means of therapy because even though you may not have been caught up in 9-11 it can really really bother you Mm -hmm, I mean mm -hmm. I saw people getting so obsessed with Michael Jackson when he died and and and, and I have to admit Philippe I have to admit I pulled out the old Michael Jackson I had uh, what was it dangerous and and I started listening to my car Yeah, yeah, I was absolutely. listening to like yeah for like yeah. two weeks. I was listening to Michael Jackson every day. If you and didn't thinking, do that, you're just lying. You're just you know. I, I know it's like, <laughs> and well, you know, and then I'm thinking, you know, a month ago he was still called Wacko Jacko, isn't that amazing? Molester. Yeah, isn't and also now he's Saint Michael, the patron saint right. of you know. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, Whitney that's Houston, people were saying she was a burned out crack addict, right. and ordered her right. voice into oblivion, and now she's like Saint Whitney. And the thing that's is, right. I'm not detracting from these the. the the, the talent uh, of these people, nor of the tragedy of their death, because their deaths were tragedies. But 
a lot of times with celebrities, you get into this morning sickness phenomenon where we become obsessed with their celebrity. The Germans have a word, Schwedenfraud, which in, it's like fall from power, fall from grace. It's like how the mighty have fallen. And there's a number of people that kind of get obsessed with celebrities and watching them tumble and fall. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I always like what W.C. Fields said about um, being a celebrity. He said the difference, he said, um, a rich man is just a poor man with money. So, nice. <laughs> yeah, so, so these uh-huh. are people, yeah. and, you know, people, uh, the, the public gets obsessed with them. I remember reading an interview with George Harrison, uh, one of the Beatles who, who passed from cancer about, uh, about 12 years ago, and he said that it was so weird during the Beatlemania days. He said, I felt like I was in the, in the eye of the hurricane and the whole world had gone completely insane mm-hmm. all around us and they were using us as an excuse to go insane. Wow. That's very powerful. What an observation. I, you know, um, not that I, I consider myself a celebrity, although I go places and I get recognized. I was in Philadelphia and I'd just done a, a big radio show and um, I, was, I was having lunch with my manager and we were in Rittenhouse Square and there's a Barnes & Noble right near there and that's where I was going for my book signing and I look out and there's like 200 people lined up and all this and, and we're walking up there and I go wow I wonder what's going on here and I walk in and someone <laughs> screams and I, and I look over and they go there he is and I'm looking behind me expecting like you know Billy Joel or Bruce Springsteen you know and all of a sudden there's like all these people around me and they're like we want your autograph they're taking pictures and, and it was it was weird um, it, it, you know, it, it, like everybody wants to be famous and, and, and all of that, but it, but it was very um, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's, fame is an unnerving uh, thing because I remember watching uh, Bruce Willis. This is you know showing my age on the on the Johnny Carson show on the Tonight Show years ago, and uh, he said, you know, fame is something that you cannot control. I mean, you know, it, it's something that somebody else puts on you that you can't control and justify. Yeah, you know, and I just look at myself as, you know, uh, I'm a guy and I've had some insights and some experiences that have really helped me and I would like to share those with other people to help them. You know, I don't want people thinking, you know, uh, somehow or other, you know, I'm some sort of celebrity because that's not what this is all about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and uh, you know it's like probably one of the greatest celebrities of all time was Gandhi, and and Gandhi was one of the most humble um, of people, and he didn't do what he did for celebrity. He did it because he had a message um, of peace. And I really liked what he said one time when the British were giving him a hard time. Well, they're saying like, well, we can rule India better than all of you. You people couldn't do this. And he said, most people would prefer their own bad government to the good government of an alien power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Well, my friend, uh, we obviously can go for hours, and we can't. <laughs> we'll figure, <laughs> well, we'll figure this back. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, you'll have to. We'll just have to schedule you back because uh, I realize there's many different areas uh, that we can discuss and talk about that I think people don't even realize. Uh, when, but you know, I think people listening to this show 
they will definitely have an aha moment, as I have, and I have been in this industry and have interviewed everybody, uh, uh, you know, uh, twice over. So this is absolutely fascinating what you do. How can people get in contact with you? What are your web addresses, Facebook, what? How can people get to you? Uh, my, my website is the same name as my book, NeverLettingGo.com. And if you go to NeverLettingGo.com, you can find about my, uh, out about my book, how to order it through Amazon. It's on sale worldwide at all fine bookstores like Barnes & Noble and, and uh, private bookstores as well. And if you go to NeverLettingGo.com, you can click on the Facebook and the Twitter uh, links, and you can follow me on Facebook and on Twitter, and, and I certainly welcome uh, everybody to do so. Uh, I've got a number of book tours that were in the uh, planning stages for 2014. I'll be um, all over the country, and we're working now to uh, finalize my new book, uh, which will be coming out, which will explain the nature of the other side and go even even deeper into understanding the reality of spirit communication. And Philippe, I can't thank you enough for the wonderful work you do. And I'd like to say to everybody out there um, who is facing the holidays without a loved one, this is the time to reach out to family and friends. If you don't have family and friends, reach out to a faith community, to organizations, because no one should go through grief alone and don't. And there's people out there who will care and who will lend you that sympathetic ear. So to all of you, may God bless you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Mark Anthony, and God bless you as well.